this week on Invasion of the Podcast. It's a different show, guys. Just a heads up. Uh, I was taking some time off here uh, a couple weeks, uh, and in advance of that, Steve and I decided to sit down and record some stuff ahead of time, so hope you guys enjoyed our talk about Black Panther last week. Uh, and In the meantime, I'd seen the movie. Wonderful. I'm sure Steve and I will talk about that when we return. However, in the meantime... Uh, we are, we had to talk about, uh, another year of the knockoff. Uh, I don't know if you guys enjoyed our ATOR talk from previously, but decided to, to do another one. This is from comparing 1980s Friday 13th and 1981's The Burning. So, um, not to, not to give too much away, but The Burning has a, a weird origin and, um, I don't know if certain portions of it have aged well. So, but we had a good talk. Hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, check out the movies. If you've not seen the original Friday 13th in a while, please watch it. It holds up really well. And you know, if you want to, you know, subjugate yourself to the burning, you can. I, I you know, um, there are some problems with it, and you'll know as we talk about it. But you know, if you want to watch it and have the context of our conversation, please do. So, and if you guys have any recommendations for uh, any other year of the knockoff items, that would be wonderful. Like, because I really like enjoying uh, watching the things that we love, and then seeing the people and the things that chased after it. So, without further ado, uh, it is our talk about the burning. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to uh, an odd uh, episode of Invasion of the Podcast. Like I said last week, and I hope you guys enjoyed Black Panther. Uh, this is literally like 10 minutes after we recorded that episode, so maybe it's the worst Shh, movie don't, ever. Don't pull the curtain back. But we don't know. Maybe it's amazing. Maybe maybe I've seen it seven times already. Who knows? But we're, we're talking about um, the year of the knockoff. Uh, I mentioned this before. We had done this with uh, uh, Conan the Barbarian and Ator the Fighting Eagle. Yes. Long live Ator, hashtag long live Ator. I don't know. Um, so the next film that we picked to, to, to do a kind of a comparison to for the year of the knockoff is one that's it's near and dear to uh, to Steve's heart. And I figured this would be a good one because you have a love for this film and this franchise. Uh, and it's Friday the 13th. That's is, correct. Is, is the kind of the pinnacle film we picked. Um, and then the other one that we're going to be talking about is, is The Burning. So we'll get to that in a moment. But first... Um, Friday the 13th, I know as a series, we've talked about it before, but the, the, the first film is different than the rest of them in a couple of ways. Uh, and it had been the f- first time I'd seen that this, when I sat down to watch it, it was the first time I'd probably seen it since a kid. I've seen this, the other later sequels multiple times, yeah, but not really the first one. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not a perfect movie. There are still, co- there's still decisions that are made that I'm like, I don't know why you do this, but I will say that. For the most part, aside from the one guy who thinks he's a, a joker the entire time, everybody's fairly likable in that film, and that you feel kind of bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So, and then you know, obviously, people die and things happen, and there's some gruesome stuff. So, um, Friday Thirteenth, like, what what is what is it about this 
that speaks to you more than maybe some other slasher films. So what's interesting about the original, um, obviously everybody knows, I mean, if you've seen Scream, you know that, you know, like everybody knows that Jason's not the killer in the original. Um, It's a whodunit, basically. I mean, it's not structured so much like a whodunit, but it's it's definitely uh, from the you know killer's point of view most of the film you don't know who's committing the murders um so that makes it unique in its in its own right um but there is a relatability in the sense that like you'd mentioned like you know everybody's likable but like those characters all feel um very real now in in 1980 when it came out i was five going on six so it's not like i knew what a teenager was like at that (laughs) time but i do feel like that's one of the big things that uh the friday series did as a whole um friday the 13th series friday's a different series yes (laughs) friday the 13th series did as a whole was they uh they had a lot of times their teenage characters were very relatable in a lot of ways um but when it comes down to the big surprise at the end of the film that you know it's you know Jason's mother um down to the Tom Savini effects the um and these are all things that I think make that movie work so well um but what I think is also unique about it is is that in a way we're talking about it as you know the film that had a not had lots of knockoffs actually based off of it but in essence, it's also kind of a knockoff itself of Halloween, um, and some people would say that Halloween is just sort of Black pr- Black Christmas done on Halloween. So uh, it's it is sort of the the, the serpent eating its tail kind of thing. Um, but it started its own. I mean, it, it when it you kicks th- off when, that when you do summer trend. camp slasher, yeah, it is a subgenre, but it's a prolific subgenre in the sense that like it, it's there's so many iconic and notable things from that like well that's a summer camp killer movie there's many many that have come after this yeah and but the idea of like a serial killer knocking off people one by one like halloween or black christmas yeah i mean the setup of somebody killing people uh, friday 13th wasn't the first to do it right but they but they did the they did the thing like halloween did is which you know you take the area that's supposed to be safe which is your home and turn it into a place that's very scary. And a summer camp is supposed to be escape. It's supposed to be an adventure. And this is, it takes that kind of that um, that coming of age moment and just just destroying it. And what I think is interesting is is that uh, it's also and it's one of the things that I think people actually one of the reasons I think people actually relate to Pamela Voorhees is is that she does have a motive, even though it's crazy. It's it's a motive in the sense that she doesn't want to see other kids get hurt. Now her instinct is to kill people to keep them from opening up the, the uh, camp again, but she has a motive. She's not just <laughs> willy nilly murdering somebody. And we'll get to this when we get to the burning because yeah. the, they ham fistedly throw in a motive at like the last like five to 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. But um, there, there should have been a scene in Friday 13th where Pamela Voorhees was at the local government, like for like a town hall meeting. And she's like, listen, I want some additional funding for life preservers for Camp Crystal Lake. And they're like, no, we really don't have in the budget. And they're like, no, you understand, my son drowned. If he would have had a life preserver, they'd be like, no, Mrs. Voorhees, I'm sorry. And she's like, all right, well, you've left me no choice. And then she walks out and she's like, I'll solve this on my own. And just starts killing campers. Like, that, <laughs> I would have liked like that she would have had the rational motivation to be like, you know what? Let's increase water safety first. Yeah. And, 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 but, 
That's me. That would have been great. But what I what I also really like about that movie is is that it it's not it's not trying to be something that it isn't. It's not trying to be cool. It's not trying to be you know. It, it was a independent film that hit big numbers and like you know it's not like Paramount produced it. Sean Cunningham, who directed the film, had made a few films that were unsuccessful. Um, and ironically, the other movie that he'd made that was successful was a partnership between him and Wes Craven. He was uh, on uh, The Last House on the Left. Oh, which, I didn't know that, but yeah. that actually, there's a, there's, I guess there's some similarities there in terms of the, you know, just the woods and survival. And I'm, you know, and I'll be honest, I've never seen The Last House on the Left. I probably should have, but I think that was one of my mom's, like, growing up when we were watching horror movies, that one felt too real to her, so I think mm-hmm. that's why we never got to it. Yeah, but, I mean, I think it's interesting that uh, the other film that he'd made that was a hit before this was a horror film. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I believe it's in... I've got a couple of different documentaries on Friday the 13th that I watch. The uh, One is, his name was Jason, which they released when the remake came out in 2009. But he talks about the fact that they had a title, and they had a poster and they kind of went from there. It's like Friday the 13th. I believe the tagline was like uh, the scariest movie ever made or something along <laughs> those lines. And uh, they're like, we got to figure something out. And uh, they went from there and started putting together the story. And it's unique in that uh, it is a whodunit. Um, but you, you aren't you aren't able to put together who did it because you aren't you know it's a good point that you raised because you aren't introduced to her in any other capacity in the film until she gives her reveal. Yeah, I, there's you know? a little bit so it's so a bit of a cheat when when watching the film basically with fresh eyes. Uh, it, it was interesting that the the you know you had the stuff in the fifties with the, the the campers making out and I forgot about the like the first person camera viewpoints of the killer. And that felt a little ahead of its time, even though that's been something that's been used forever to to keep the person that you're you know that you're facing unknown you know to the viewer, right? So, but that still felt kind of considering that you know now we're we're like you know there's constantly found footage films that felt a little different to me having that kind of like oh hey how's it going we were just necking it's fine and all of a sudden they get killed and it's like so they you get the idea that the, the campers at the beginning recognized whoever it was they're talking to yeah. And so that was disarming, right? And so then um, that happens, whatever. Then you you jump to the current day, 1980, uh, and you have the, the current cook. day, 40 years ago. Yeah, the current, yeah. What, her, her name, Nancy or something, whatever the cook's name was, the girl who's like hitchhiking into town. And you, it's almost like a psycho effect where you get to know her a little bit and she's talking to the t- local townsfolk and they're like, oh, where are you going? Oh, did you hear about all the murders up at Camp Blood? Did you hear about the drowning the year before that? Like they, they lay all this like evidence of something happening. Mm-hmm. And then before she even gets to the camp, she gets picked up uh, by somebody in a Jeep and then you never see the person driving the Jeep. You just see her reacting and talking to them. And then that's it. That's the last time you see her in the movie until the end. Right. And it's like, that's a, that's a, it, it, maybe maybe they didn't have a better way of getting to that, but basically it was that moment of like you're supposed to like oh this is the character that's going to introduce us to the rest of the camp. She doesn't even ever get there, and I right. that was kind of refreshing, like in the sense of like like they kept talking the rest of the movie like where's the cook at? Like I don't know. Like she's supposed to be here by now. <laughs> yeah, whatever. We don't know, but like, clearly she didn't want to come. You know, like so I dug that. And then there's also that inherent fear when she's in the Jeep and they pass by the the road to the camp and she's like, we passed the road and you don't hear the person driving say anything. You just see her reaction. Right. And that's that, that's effective. And I dug that. Well, also, you, you have a, um, I guess you would consider 
Pamela to be the antagonist, but you have a female killer, which is rare um, for those films as well. It's almost always a guy. Yeah. Um, and what I like about the film as well is, is that it has this odd sensibility about it in the atmosphere that it creates. Um, like you'd mentioned it, like when she goes into town. My favorite character, this is... <laughs> This is a little off topic. My favorite cut character in every Friday the 13th movie, or out of all of them, is Crazy Ralph. <laughs> Crazy Ralph, he shows up in the first one, he makes it to the second one, he dies in the second one, but uh, he's the old guy who, you know, tells them that uh, they're all doomed. He tells them that the camp is cursed yes. with a death curse. Not just a curse, but a death curse. But my favorite thing about it is, is that like later on in the movie, he pops up in their kitchen for no reason yeah. at all, and then he runs away, and he... It's a shot of him like getting on his bike and pedaling away. That's it. That's the last time I see him in the movie. But it was just right before that though, like the local the the, the one of the local cops show up and that's a really awkward sequence because he's trying to be like a you know a hard ass and Kevin Bacon's like like in the background, like touching the motorcycle bike or, or, like, he's grabbing the radio yeah. to talk on the radio and the guys look at him like, What are you doing? Like, yeah, like if this was if this was today Kevin Bacon would have been shot, like, right? You know, <laughs> you know, but um, so that he's like, yeah, I just want to let you guys know that, like, I don't know if you were seen Crazy Ralph around. I mean, you know, his name's Crazy Ralph, so he's a little crazy. <laughs> and then they walk into the one cabin; he's in the pantry. Yeah. Like, all right, well, like, I guess you found him, you know. And it was like that was funny. But there is an element of fun to it as well. Like, there's a, a balance of fun and fear at the same time. Like, somebody could get killed at any moment, or there might be some sort of crazy weirdo hanging out in your pantry yeah. like or the like you could just have a couple go off to have sex and then you could have three more counselors in a cabin say you know what we should do strip monopoly like that was just like there's all these like just like these motivations of like yeah that's a good idea right now um <laughs> i do like that i i, I didn't realize and i'd forgotten that this thing all takes place in pretty much less than one day yeah like it had you have that night uh, and then all of a sudden there's a, st a storm and the rain is persistent through pretty much the rest of the film. And that does give a good, like the claustrophobic feel to it because it's like, you, you're now out in the, you're out there at, by the lake and the power could go out at any time. And, you know, and you can't hear too far away from you. It was, that was all effective. And I, I dug all that. And, and so, yeah, whenever people would kind of wander off by themselves, you, you wouldn't hear them getting killed because you wouldn't hear them getting killed, you know? Mm -hmm. So I like that element of it because it added a little bit more realism that she could operate pretty much freely, you know, and just wait for them to make mistakes and wander off alone. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to the actual um, idea of, oh, you know, the, the whole rules that Scream introduced, you know, in the sense of like, oh, you do drugs, you die, you do have sex, you dry, da 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 da. You dry, you die. You dry. You, dry. you, know, it's, it's, you, you come in, you just come <laughs> you out of the rain, off. you dry, you dry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the writer, Victor Miller, you know, he mentioned that the reason that it was set at a, you know, camp was that, like, he wanted a place where there was no, basically, adult supervision or there was no one there who could help. And I believe it was... Um, you know, a similar idea for Carpenter with Halloween, where he s said that, you know, the reason that like Annie dies and some, and, um, you know, the, the other girl dies, um, who I, what for the life of me, I can't remember her name right now. Um, but, uh, those characters die simply because they're not paying attention. It's not that they're being punished, but it's that they're not paying attention. And I feel like that's part of it as well in at least this first, uh, Friday the 13th, they're isolated from adults. They're not really paying attention to what's going on around them. And, um, you know, 
the way that Pamela kind of knocks them out is very systematic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and there's a uniqueness to that, like particularly the girl who um, is out on the shooting range. I'm sorry, not the shooting range, but the, the archery range. The archery yeah. range, which does beg the question like why don't go to the archery range no. like that's like the one place that you don't want to go um but and they uh, teased that earlier because when she's setting up the target her asshole boyfriend took a shot with a bow and arrow right beside her right. hit the target and missed her by like i don't know half a foot <laughs> and it's like and he's like oh, i was just kidding it's just like ha, 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 that's a crime you know like and then she just kind of laughed at him and waved it off, which I was like, that's weird. And then I watched The Burning later and realized that that's about as normal as you're going to get with interactions between guys and girls and Friday the 13th. Yeah. The Burning took it to a different level. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. Yeah. But I mean, I do think that the, you know, there's a nice way that the film sets up, um, particularly the lead characters, uh, for their deaths in the sense that they're not really, you know, and I, I think that like. <sighs> It's realistic in the sense that, like, nobody thinks, like, they're going to be murdered by some crazy person. Like, yeah. you know, um, again, there's certainly the factor of, like, wanting to, you know, include the TNA for, you know, the audience, which was a staple of the 80s films. So you get that. You get, you know, the sex scenes. You get um, the strip poker that you'd mentioned. Um, and... You know, it's it becomes this other thing of it being like being punished for having sex, and you know, but you know, and I'm actually going to argue with myself now because now <laughs> that I think about it, you know, uh, you know, that is Pamela's thing is that you know they well, weren't paying attention. She went over when 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 and when Kevin Kevin Bacon was making bacon with uh, the the young lady. Uh, and then, like, clearly, you didn't know this, but Pamela was just under the bed the entire time, which was weird. And then she took that um, that arrow and put it right, like, that's... Ugh. Yeah. I, it physically doesn't make any sense, but it is creepy, you know? And But she waited until, like, they were done and he was alone. And, and th th those two would be punished because they ran away and did the thing that, that would... That ultimately, a similar couple did to cause her son to drown and or not be saved. You know, yeah. and but then even earlier in the film, when they're all of them are goofing off by the dock, one of them uh, acts like he's drowning and she's watching that from a distance. And I really thought they were going to revisit that again because it's like she knows it's how her son died and that's just going to piss her off further. And they didn't really come back to that. No, because the one guy was faking drowning so he could be a creep and kiss a girl, you know, like the Sandlot, which people like that movie. But, you know, hey, whatever. Um, So I, you know, you're right. So there is some punishment there, but some of it also is that she's like also you, you said so she doesn't want that camp open again so she'll do whatever it takes to get it to not be open you right know? and so it's a punishment but also like a precaution which i'm not saying that i understand but i understand her point of view about it right you know? so i mean it's not a perfect movie uh, the pacing's a little weird uh the, the the guy who runs the camp is gone for parts of the movie and then you see him at a diner like somehow he's like i'll be i'll be back after dinner and then it's like middle of the night and he's at a diner just drinking coffee for some reason like i don't know what he did all day but he didn't come back to the camp if you want like the, the one of the best like 80s outfits when we first introduced to that character in the film he's wearing literally like the tiniest cut off jean shorts 
and, and a neckerchief and, yeah, and no shirt and no shirt <laughs> and, and then like he's like he's trying to take a, a stump like out of the ground and like the, the three new counselors show up and he's like hey guys so come over and help me and then they, they get the stump out and he's like oh by the way hi i'm bill or whatever his name it's like you didn't know any people and it's like hey random strangers help me get the stump out it was just and then he's talking to whoever it is the girl that that ends up living is it nancy that maybe i, I maybe i'm getting confused nightmare on elm street whatever her name is the one that she um she was doing gutter work and he comes over and he's like, Oh, I see your pad of paper here. You draw pretty well. It's like, yeah. It's like, you should stick around for a week. I'm sorry. I screwed things up. It's like, Whoa, you're getting really weird here. You know, (laughs) it was like, I don't know. Like, so there's some weird character issues and some pacing, but it's a competently made movie. And even though I knew, and I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew at the end, whenever the girls in the raft and the cops come, and it's actually a really great scene because the music's playing, it's very sweeping, like this is the end of the movie music, and it's over top of her just like in the canoe um, waiting because she's in shock or whatever, right? And then the cops are on the shore, and you hear, you see them yelling to her, but you don't hear it because the music's playing. And it's a really cool moment. And, but you, and I knew that young Jason was going to grab her out of the water or come up out of the water and grab her. Uh, but I just, it's been so long since I've seen it. I just didn't know exactly when. So I was uneasy until it happened and I still jumped, you know? And then she wakes up and was like, Oh, but there was a boy and she's in the hospital and no one believes her. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I know that they specifically let that go as long as they possibly could. So that people were just like, had given up on something happening. Yeah. Where they're like, Oh, the credits are going to roll. You know, that, that sort of expected thing of, Oh, the movie's over. Um, and I do think that that's a really uh, wonderful way to, it, it doesn't make any sense. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but it's, it's a, it's a great like jump scare at the end of the movie. It is. And it, it's earned after, after all of that, right? So, yeah. so I appreciated that. I mean, the music was almost going to borderline break into the end music from Ator. Like almost, it was going to get into. <laughs> I would have heard some like high pitched singing or whatever. It'd have been great. Um, but so, so yeah. So that's there's a lot that works about Friday Thirteenth, and you can see how a lot of movies wanted to just like jump on his success and and because of films like that because of Halloween because of you know maybe Black Christmas but I think that wasn't as successful in the states as it was in Canada where it was made there was there was a boom of slasher films in the early 80s right so th- this gets to um 1981's The Burning so this was a movie suggested by a friend of the show Kevin who gave me the list for uh the year of the western and also recommended a tour because uh, I wanted to have a companion piece to go Friday the 13th, and I was going to pick Madman because that movie is just, it is it is a, a shit show of a slasher film at a camp, and I st- Steve still needs to see it, but it's just a bad movie, and it's funny, and it's wrong. It's funny for all the wrong reasons, and it's, it's just bad. The Burning was kind of recommended as kind of like an analog to Friday the 13th, as in like it was a forgotten slasher camp film that needs to be considered. So we watched it. A little bit of history about The Burning. Uh, it was released uh, uh, May 8th, 1981, one week after Friday the 13th Part 2 was released in the theaters. Thought that was kind of odd. Uh, budget was $1.5 million. Uh, its, box off, its U.S. box office is only 700000 It eventually grossed over $1 million in Japan by itself, though. So I thought that was kind of something about that movie did well, in, did well enough in Japan. Um, that's really odd to me. Like, yeah. I don't know what the secret ingredient is in that movie that would have made it big in Japan, but the, the, the story is just, there's no story. So you could translate very well. I'm sure it's just like, Oh, it's a guy with scissors or whatever. Right. So, 
Um, yeah. So then here, other things that caught me off guard. And I know Steve want to talk about this too. I didn't realize that this was produced by Bob and Harvey Weinstein and it was the first Miramax released film. And it's written by Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. He has story credit him, Bob Weinstein and, um, one other person. Also, there was a producer named Corky Berger. Just want to mention that because the name's great. Um, Directed by Tony Milam. He also directed the Rucker Hauer film Split Second, the 2002 film, if you remember that. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, so anyway, the Harvey Weinstein thing is it just it would have caught me off guard to begin with because it's like this is a 1981 slasher film. Right. And you think of Miramax before everything that has just happened in the past year, you think of Miramax as like this kind of indie, you, you think know, of clerks, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Uh, the, um, did they release the crow? Did they do the crow? I don't yes. remember. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the crow, uh, Desperado, like, yeah. You know, 90s cinema. A lot of it that I took in came from Miramax. Yeah. And the first movie they produced was the burning. Right. So, and now knowing what we all know about the Harvey Weinstein and that whole, this, the whole, like, all the accusations, all the stories, everything that I mean, I, I believe this thing. There's too many people coming out saying the same things for it to be, you know, all dismissed, right? You watch this film, and we'll get into the story more. It is maybe this is why I felt kind of off put by it because there's a lot of things that happen in this movie. I'm like, this was co written by, you know, by a guy that's accused of doing a lot of bad things and, tr- and disrespecting a lot of women in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of interactions in this movie. I'm like, who wrote this dialogue? You know, right? Like, it was just like, ugh. So, um, and we'll get more into the story in a second. Tom Savini did the effects work for this. He didn't do the effects work for Friday the 13th Part Two because he was going to do the burning. I don't know what he thought the opportunity was here versus that. Well, actually, there was a note saying that he he didn't quite understand how Jason was full grown and stalking people after the end of the first movie. Yeah. So he kind of was like, I don't know about that. And he had the opportunity. He thought this was going to be a challenge or something. And you know, his, he isn't the problem with this film. Uh, actors that are in it. I just want to mention as well. It is the acting debut. Cause we mentioned Kevin Bacon was in Friday the 13th. Uh, we have Jason Alexander, Fisher Stevens, which I didn't realize that was him. I kept looking, I'm like, that looks like a young Fisher Stevens. And I thought that was him. <laughs> and Holly Hunter, which I couldn't place her. I couldn't place her and all the other girls that were there. She's a glorified extra, basically. Yeah. Like she's in, like, uh, there's a, the campfire scene. Like, they cut to her, because I was looking for her as well, because I looked at the castles before we watched the movie. And I was like, where's Holly Hunter? And, like, the only like discernible shot that I saw was the shot at the campfire where they're telling the story. Oh, okay. Um, and they do a close up of her, so she's she's in the background. And I actually read a quote from her, basically saying like, you know, they asked her what her thoughts were on the burning. She's like, "Hey, I got my SAG card before it. I'm basically an extra in that movie, but it kickstarted my career and I had a good time making it." But she's like, "It's not a great movie, but <laughs> I, it did start my career." So. Yeah. I'm sure that's what Jason Alexander says as well. He's like, <laughs> what I remember about that movie is I had a full head of hair. That's what I remember about that movie. Uh, I, and just also want to mention here, the musical score was done by Rick Wakeman of the band Yes. So it was a very, it was a very of the time score. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't hate the score. Like that was no, actually, the, it was okay. The score's fine. There's yeah. nothing wrong with the score. Um, I just want to mention though, on the, on the soundtrack for the film, there are tracks listed as doing it. <laughs> and sheer terror, as in S H E A R, as in the web, like as in the garden shears that were used in the film. Oh, so nice! A track called Sheer Terror. So, uh, so this film was supposedly conceived uh, before Friday Thirteenth came out, which I can believe that 
supposedly there's a five page treatment that Harvey Weinstein wrote that like I could write a five page treatment of, and then this guy kills this guy, and then this guy kills this guy, and then there's an awkward sex scene, and then this guy kills this guy. So I don't know how much of a five page treatment there really was, but supposedly he wanted he saw the success of slasher films and wanted to get in to get one out to try and make a quick buck. Yeah. So that so but as we're gonna talk here, um I, I they had to have seen the first Friday thirteenth movie before the, this went into production. They had to have. Oh yeah, there's yeah. there's no doubt in my mind that they yeah. didn't like like I like you said there might have been a treatment written, and it's supposedly based on the whole cross cropsy um, legend. Fine, all well and good, but it it feels like somebody watched Friday the Thirteenth and was like, we can do that. Yeah, but we can make it more awkward. Right. Um, and and if you guys aren't familiar with the cropsy thing, uh, there's a documentary. I did see this. It's uh, it came out it on Netflix a few years ago called Cropsy, and it deals with the the urban legend of cropsy up in um, northern New York, I think. Or it it deals with there's a whole history of um, state mental hospitals that got defunded, and then those people weren't cared for, so they ended up like still kind of like living in the area. And there's a lot of suspicion that there was some murders that were done by somebody that maybe. Uh, wasn't receiving proper care anymore. So it's a really interesting documentary. Mm-hmm. And that's a way more interesting story than we got in The Burning. So, <laughs> um, so and also, and then we'll get back to this too. This holds an 86% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes by people reviewing it. And I don't understand that. that yeah. yeah. Um, so look, I can understand... I can understand liking the movie if you're a, a horror fan and you're like, oh, it's it's part of the lexicon of films i can almost understand like having some sort of affinity for it i look at it this way i feel like every movie is somebody's favorite so i try to keep that in (laughs) mind when i so for instance like if i'm talking about the halloween franchise like for me halloween 5 is the worst of the bunch i think that like five doesn't capitalize on the ending of four it wastes its characters it's it's just not a great film at all um i think it's the worst of that series there are numerous people who will tell me it's the best of the series or at least the best outside of the original like and by numerous you mean three people (laughs) (laughs) but like there's always somebody who's a fan of something um you know so i try to keep that in mind but i will say you know when it comes to the burning um as far as like rewatchability um it'll just sort of be if i do watch it again it'll be me showing it to other people going like hey watch jason alexander in this movie trying to act with this really shitty dialogue like yeah um and i want to say okay so before i start bagging on the film there are a couple positives to the film two two things that i really thought worked well the first one is is that one of the things that a lot of the friday the 13th movies lack is actual kids um it was impressive to me that they actually made it feel like it's an open summer camp with that's true kids. yes Part six has kids in it, but that's really the only Friday the 13th that actually has children there. I mean, Corey Feldman's in four as a kid, but he's not at the camp. So it actually feels like a summer camp more so than Friday the 13th summer camp does, the the Camp Crystal Lake. So I will give it credit for that. It certainly feels uh, like a summer camp in the 80s. The other thing is, is that there is an interesting choice of using the garden shears and there's one great shot in the movie uh during there's a killing that takes place on a raft and the camera shows the garden shears and it's a really well framed shot and it's very it feels like an iconic shot a money shot if you will 
that's really the two things <laughs> that I can kind of say, like, oh, that's a cool shot. I have problems with that canoe scene, but yeah, that was a cool looking shot. And then, uh, you know, I give it props for being like, hey, we're actually going to have kids at the summer camp. We're going to make it feel like a real summer camp. So the, those are my two good things. And I try. I don't want to spend the entire episode like bagging on the movie but there are a lot of problems with the film that <laughs> are not easily solvable by like ah, it's a movie yeah so okay let's just we'll get into the 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 plot proper here just real quick so uh it takes place some some like camp blackfoot or something i forget the name like it was not important why the camp was named that because then because then the story shifted to another camp with a different name so it didn't matter however the font was the exact same font from friday the 13th yeah and i'm like huh right so Anyway, these kids all get together in this cabin. They all hate the the, the groundskeeper. They hate Cropsey. And they don't, they're like, oh, this guy's just a jerk and blah, 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 blah. They don't ever give you a reason to ever see. They don't ever show you him being an asshole to anybody. They just they just show him being a drunk in his work shed. You know? yeah. And it's like, okay, well, that's not hurting anybody. So they decide they're going to play a prank on him. And so it, what happens is one of them puts a box in his, in his little, his, his whatever, his cabin. And they knock on his window to get it open, and it turns out to be a skull crawling with worms. But it's like there's like candles inside; it's on fire. It's, it's like the least frightening thing. It's like the least frightening thing. But he sees it, freaks out, and tips it onto his own bed. And then also something happens where there's gas involved because it is a utility thing, and there's bottles of alcohol around. And he just bursts into flame, and he goes <laughs> he goes running out of the cabin in a full on burn suit. Which I know, like I know it was the eighties, but it's like that you know. Eight, this guy looked like he had like 87 sweaters on running down the hill on fire. And then he rolls into the water and then all the, all the kids are like, shit, we got to get out of here. And then they all run away. And it cuts to like the hospital three yeah. months later, it said. And it's this orderly or somebody like, like try to talk to this new doctor that looked like he was in his forties. <laughs> and he's like, you're not going to survive one day around here if you can't see this kind of stuff. And he's like, pulling him into this room. He's like, look at this bird unit stuff. This will mess you up. <laughs> <laughs> and then he pulls open the thing and he's like, and he's trying to show him Cropsey. And then there's like one burnt hand that grabs the orderly and he screams. And that's the beginning of your movie. Yeah. And I really, I didn't know if the movie's going to keep like taking place in the hospital or something. Like it was just kind of all over the place. Then it was like five years later. I'm like, what happened in those five years? <laughs> and then there's a montage, not a mo It's an audio montage. It's a collage of them wheeling out. Cropsy, and they're like you hear voices like well don't hold it against those kids try to find the good things in life all the stuff and it's like dude got burned to a crisp and finally he's being let out like five years like he's like dark man like there's no there's no coming back from this but you're just gonna wheel him out of the hospital and be like good luck yeah and that's it like i mean two things right off the bat uh one that prank sequence takes way too long. Like for your opening scene, like you're just kind of like, what is, yeah. what's the end goal here? Like you can cut some of this out. And then second of all, um, one of the signs that you're in a horror movie that's not going to be great at, uh, I don't want to say scaring you, but like if it's telegraphing, it scares about, oh, you should see this. It's going to be so scary. <laughs> Check this guy out. Like, it's immediately, you're going to see something and go, oh, that's supposed to be a jump scare. Like, don't telegraph your scare. Like, yeah. that's that's a 
Ugh. So, so that bugged yeah. me. And I mean, we're five minutes into the movie. So <laughs> you can tell that like this isn't going to go well the rest of the way. So, But then you get to this whole thing where like, you know, Cropsy's wandering the, the dirty streets in New York and he ends up finding a prostitute and she doesn't actually see him. I don't know how that doesn't happen, but she leads him to his apart- to her apartment. And then like <laughs> my favorite part is when she's like, he turns off the lights. She's like, oh, you like it in the dark? And it's like what yeah and then she turns a lamp on like right <laughs> after that i don't know and then she sees him and then she freaks out and he grabs up like he grabs uh i don't know something it wasn't it wasn't garden shears but it was like a pair of scissors or something i think and i forget what he does he stabs her with like but kills her immediately so my biggest problem with this film is that i kind of got the idea that maybe maybe for a second that you'd have this horrible prank gone wrong and have this guy who was like horribly disfigured and clearly has all the reasons in the world to be mad and wanting revenge and then that maybe they would throw the red herring out there that maybe he wasn't the one doing it. Right. And that maybe like this is a couple years later and the kids all feel guilt about what they did. And then when someone starts, then there's someone walking around starting to kill kids at the camp, kind of like, I know what you did last summer type of thing. They'd all be like, crap, do you think it's this guy that we ran away from? And then to find out that maybe he's just this well-adjusted person now living in his new life, you know, like that would have been kind of interesting, but this film doesn't do anything that's kind of interesting. It always goes for the most obvious thing, at least it feels like to me. And it's like, nope, he's pissed off. You know it's him. He's coming at you. He has garden shears, which we don't know why, other than he likes them. The movie's called The Burning, not The Stabbing. I don't know. Like, he was burned alive. I want to make The Stabbing now. But, like, every one of the kills in the movie related to him involved his garden shears. Yeah. And it's like, but he's a guy burned, like... I feel like it's a missed opportunity that if your if your genesis of your being a monster is by fire, and then your weapon of choice is stabbing, right? I don't know. That seems a little, little, little. I mean, come on, horror movie, get your get your shit straight. You know, like um, I don't know. Well, you know, when we cut to that scene at the the beginning with the um, with with the woman and him in the, I, I assume it's her apartment or hotel room or whatever. Yeah. Um, what I found odd was, is I was like, oh, I'm like, is this going to be like Maniac? I don't know if you've I, ever seen I, Maniac. I know what you're talking I thought maybe for a second we'd get some of that yeah. kind of action where it was more like, oh, okay, we're seeing it from his perspective. and Yeah, yeah. but he offs her and then that's it. Yeah. And it's not connected to anything else nope. in the movie. It felt like they were like, we need a kill here. We need to establish that this guy's out for blood. Yeah. And then, so it goes five years later, not five years later from that point, but then we go to this new summer camp, which is like, I don't know, camp camp rape camp i don't know what it was called uh, uh, camp it might as well uh, camp been. sexual assault i don't know whatever yeah. it's called um and so we meet these whole new wacky campers uh and there there's a girl who goes to go shower and, and there, there's nudity for no reason in this sequence other than it's an 80s movie but this the nudity in this all felt wrong every time it like wrong as in like it was exploitive but it was like i just it was not like I don't know. It didn't feel right because it's like these are supposed to be like counselors like that are like, you know, like 18, 19, maybe. And then also in the same bunk with kids that are like, you know, younger. None of that felt right in terms of like the age dis- right. displacement or however, like the, however it was. But there's a guy named Alfred. I think his name was. He's supposed to go scare her in the shower like because he was a creep. And then so the girl screams rightfully so and goes tells her her boss or other counselor. So that counselor goes talks to the head guy counselor. is like, hey, your guy was creeping on the girls in the shower. And he looks at the guy. He's like, you shouldn't do that or whatever. He's like, what's wrong with you? And then he just looks at the other girl. He's like, we'll just take care of it. I'm like, no. He needs to go home now. That's a problem. 
You right. can't just be like, hey, Alfred, what's wrong? He's like, all the kids make fun of me. Okay, so that gives you the license to go and look at girls in the shower. I don't understand that. But it was very, he got off the hook very easily. He did. And, you know, when you mentioned the nudity, there's also this sort of, I don't know if you've noticed it, but like the way it's filmed, it's literally uh, from the breast up. And it it feels like the camera is like eye level with her breasts. Like yeah. I think that's what makes it even more. It, uncomfortable. it was like the camera guy was hunched down, like tipping the camera upward. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like I mean, in a it was like Harvey film, Weinstein was crouched down, tipping the camera upward. <laughs> right. Like it, it, you know, typical film, you might have done that shot, like a full body shot, or from the side, or something. Or along for the those POV lines. of the guy creeping in, try to look, and you get like a peek or something. You right. Know, like, You're not going to be like eye level with her <laughs> boobs the whole time. No. So. Ugh. That that really like sets the tone right there. But you know, so far in the movie, I'm like, okay, they're doing the whole like, oh, he's a sexy or a sexy. He's a <laughs> he's a sexual pervert. He's a sexy pervert. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I thought, oh, they're trying to do the he's a sexual pervert thing and set him up as a red hair. Fine. And, and okay. you never got that vibe. I mean, like, no. it's, like, like you. Okay, let's say the movie tried to tell you that, but you never got that from it. And then after he was confronted, then you you meet the worst character in all of movie history. His name's Glazer. <laughs> like this guy, he was annoying every single scene he was in. He's like that what, guy what that you're talking about. Yeah, he's like he got held back three years of summer camp. I don't know how it's yeah. possible. And every single scene, he's abrasive and rude, and just like he's supposed to be the asshole, but it's like turned to twelve, and it's like. <laughs> And, and whatever. So you get that. He's like, why are you messing with my girl? I'll kill you. And then the, the head camp counselor guy is like trying to keep the peace, blah, 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 blah. Right. So you get these weird moments of this. And then you get like another couple where the, the, the one girl is telling her friends, like, I kind of like this guy, but then sometimes when we're alone. He really wants things. And I feel pressured and I feel worried about being alone with him, but I really like him. And they're like, well, you got to make a decision. Like what kind of <laughs> advice is that? You know? So then you find out that eventually, um, Oh, and at one point, Fisher Stevens should be, just get the hell out of there. Yeah. Uh, well, they they tell her, well, because there's like an overnight canoe trip they're going on. This yeah. is like it was like a three day thing, right? It's like, well, if you feel uncomfortable at any point, just leave. It's like you're right. You're a young girl. You can figure out the canoe stuff on your own. It's fine. Just come back <laughs> to the camp. It's okay. But then, so before we get there, like the, there's all this horsing around, and at one point, Fisher Stevens has like a pellet gun. His name's uh, Woodstock. Right, whatever, yeah. and and so he ends up like taking a shot at Glazer's, like he's on like um a, a, I don't know a, like a pontoon type thing, talking to these girls, and this thing looks like it actually has some power to it. He shoots this guy in the ass, and all the girls start laughing. It's like you know, one foot to the left or to the right, you would have killed a girl on that raft, right? You know, and it's like everyone's like ha ah, ha ha, it's funny. I'm like, so there's guns allowed in this camp. There, you know, it's there. There's like people are being sexually weird with you. So it's fine, you know. Like, like I'm surprised. I'm surprised if cops just didn't show up and be like, hey, you know what? I like doing. I just like stabbing people. They'd be like, well, okay, as long as you don't get it on everybody else. They probably have been like some stabbings, okay, maybe not all the stabbing. That's what this this camp felt like, right? And camp liability. <laughs> You know, when you talk about the actual, like, sexual, because um, there's it's not even all sexual scenes. There's a scene where we, we're supposed to learn that Jason Alexander's character is, I guess he's like the red of Shawshank Redemption in <laughs> but, Summer but, Camp. But getting porn for everybody. Yeah. 
Like he he goes and like he it, he gets Playboy for the one guy, and the other guy's like, "Hey, you got my hustler," and he's like, "Here you go." <laughs> and then the character Glazer, he apparently had him buy him condoms, and there's this whole like thing about them being lubricated. Or yeah, not. he's like, "You got my stuff." He's like, "Yeah, I got your rubbers." He's like, "I asked for lubricated rubbers." He's like, "Well, this is all you guys." Well, I'm not paying for them. It's like, okay, great. I don't need <laughs> I don't need the commerce of camp life, right? You know, and it was just like it was weird. Yeah, yeah. and so. So like off to, like right there you're like okay really weird sexual conversations between dudes all right whatever um but then like the next scene that is a skinny dipping scene and i'm skipping a little bit further so ahead they, the they go on their canoe trip they all had they, yeah. they, they, so the, the older uh kids are now in a canoe that are all going north uh, to Devil's Canyon or whatever they call it. And then like the younger campers and the actual camp itself is left, which is actually a smart move in terms of Getting you're taking... Because you talked about this being like a feel like a real summer camp. They did, and it's like now you've gotten uh, some people away that are cannon fodder, but you also keep them away from the younger kids. Right. So it's like, that's actually not a bad way to get them separated in terms of a horror movie. Right. So, but yeah, they're, they're overnight. There's a skinny dipping scene. Yes. That is awkward. It's, yeah. it's completely awkward. Um, again, uh, and I don't remember the character's name, but there's a, a guy and a girl, obviously, and, uh, they go skinny dipping and the guy, actually he makes a few advances and she's not really into it. And he's like, fine, I'm going to go skinny dipping. Like he's enticing her, uh, you know, and she does get in the water with him and they start making out and then she decides that she doesn't want to go any further and then, like he, of course, like uh, he 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 becomes very yeah, abusive towards her, yeah, yeah. And, and, like dismissive, but then also aggressive. And it's like, well, he's like, if you didn't want this, why are you here? And this this whole stuff, right? Yeah. It's like, and it's, he, it, but what gets me is, is that like you would think the next logical thing is, is you're like, oh, okay, they're doing this because he's the asshole, so he's going to be punished. Yeah, but he's not. <laughs> like, yeah, he makes it through that scene. She's the one who is killed by... Well, what Cropsy does is yeah. not only do we get to see her walk fully nude out of the thing, yeah. which is weird... Because uh, it's just you could just it's uncomfortable. He's taken her clothes and has like led them like on a trail like a like a prank. Yeah, and it's like for whatever reason you know. So he ends up like she eventually gets some of her clothes. Uh, Cropsy kills her, and then the, the the you know the rapey dude. He's fine till morning, and then so everybody wakes up and it's like, "Hey, where's the girl?" And he's like, "I don't know." And they're like, and "Everyone's like, the canoes are gone." And they're like, "Oh, she must have took them." And they're like, "All three canoes, right?" And it was this whole big discussion, and then eventually it becomes decided that they're going to make a raft, like you know, Survivor style or um, I don't know, the Castaway style, and send some of the campers back. Uh, and he's one of them that goes with them, and he's actually like the leader, and he's given yeah. responsibility. So it's like he, even though what happens happens it's like you're supposed to still kind of be like okay he's not bad he's le he's helping out yeah that's the thing weird. that i don't get like yeah. you figure oh they're just setting him up to be the, the the bad guy so that when he gets killed there's some sort of uh not validation but some sort of um what's the word i'm looking for here uh blah, blah, blah. Not, not redemption but it's it's more like you're like oh he's competent like you know and what happened what happened the night before that was just a discussion it was just really like well yeah uh, that but also like you you were expecting him to get killed in sort of like a oh we've built him up as a, a jerk so like his his death is that much sweeter is what you're thinking yeah but then when he's not dead the next morning you're like wait what <laughs> and then they give him responsibilities so it kind of feels like 
they're saying like his reaction was completely normal yeah. to be a complete dick to this girl and like uh, it's weird well one it's weird for then and then and now it's even weirder because of what you know about the Weinsteins and then also just I feel like our just our, just the way that we know that people should treat one another like a lot of that has like you know you you should know better, right? And but somehow this movie just skips right past it and lets it all go, and it's supposed to be okay. Like Glazer pretty much forces a girl to have sex with him, and it, that was bad. That's just all terrible stuff. But so we get to the the, the raft. That's what I want to talk about. So the raft's going along the way. They see a canoe. They're like, "Oh, it's one of our canoes. We should go get it." And then as they're going up to the canoe, like it's it's a slow build, and eventually, as they go to look inside the canoe, all of a sudden, there's that shot you're talking about where Cropsey's like upholding the shears, like from behind, and you see this like nice, nice shot of the sh- the shears, and he just goes to town, killing everybody on this this raft. Question to you: How, Where the hell was this guy in the canoe? Was he in the canoe? And he stood up. Because if he did, his sense of balance is amazing. Yeah. Like, where the hell was he? Like, it doesn't even make sense. Uh, whatever. Yeah. And this is one of those things that I'll say about the effects as well. Um, as somebody who really enjoys great special effects, um, I felt like either the director didn't know how to film Tom Savini's effects or they didn't let Tom Savini do Tom Savini stuff. And I, I don't know for a fact, you know, maybe Tom Savini really, you know, worked as hard as he could on that movie. I'm not saying that he didn't. I'm just saying that, like, it, I feel like maybe the director didn't know how to film his effects because they don't feel as special as, like, when George Romero filmed mm-hmm. his effects. Or, no, just the pacing of them and the placement and, like, the cutting together of everything, no pun intended, is just it's all out of whack. Yeah, what it, and it's like it's so because you have a scene where he kills four or five people on that raft, and it's very poorly cut together. And the way the effects are shot is is they're not very impactful. No, um, Fisher Stevens gets like his fingers cut off, and it's it's framed in the way that like you're like, oh, that's a fake hand. Yeah, you know, like that's how it feels. And, yeah. For somebody, you know, if you get Tom Savini, you let Tom Savini do what he wants. Or I shouldn't say that because I don't know that he didn't get to do what he wanted. But like, you give extra care to how you film those effects. Yeah, for the, so, the maximum, you know, effect. Yeah, and that was that, that's supposed to that was supposed to be the big showcase of that whole thing was the raft scene because people talk about that and that's what got abandoned in um, you know the United Kingdom and all this other stuff. So. I, not to, I guess we're going through the whole story, but I, it's just questions I have here is like, so Todd, uh, that's the main counselor, the, the the head guy, right? Yes. You find out at the end that he was the same, one of the kids at the beginning that was of the kids pranking Cropsey. He, was the, he wasn't even the one that was hesitant. He was just one of the kids there in the group, you find out. Right. Because there's one kid that's like, I don't know about this. You're like, well, that has to be the main guy. No, it's not. It's this other guy just there with the doofy, uh, you know, um, freaking... Um, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, I was gonna say dumb hairstyle, and I, I can't remember what it is now. Um, anyway, party in the front and uh, mullet. His, well, he has a mullet. Yeah, that's, what this? It's late. It's late. Uh, he had a mullet, right? That's what it looked like. Anyway, so you find out that like that Todd was the one, one of the guys there, and he even tells a story to Alfred about like be careful about how you act to camp because you'll get removed. Because five years ago I got removed from a camp, so I'm like, oh, so you're going to tell him about this prank? <laughs> he never did. And so then Todd's telling this whole story around the campfire about Cropsey and about how he was a drunk and caught on fire. I'm like, you're really into the story, even though you're responsible for that happening, right? Right. So you get to this thing at the end where it's like he realizes, like he actually, 
I don't think he even realizes that that the person attacking him is the same guy. You as the audience have shown in a flashback that he was one of the the pranksters. And it's like, so there's no weight to even that confrontation. No, like, oh, you know, know, I'm sorry for what I did, but you can't do this. There was no conversation. It was more like, oh, well, that guy looks scary. The guy, get out of here. Like, there's no realization that, that his actions caused that to happen. And not that I'm saying that he is directly responsible for the death for all his campers but he's indirectly responsible for the death of all these campers. Right. And there's never, that never once occurs to the character and it's never once brought up in the film. Yeah. And that is bizarre to me. And that's why I feel like that's definitely something that was, and that element may have always been part of the story, but like, it feels like that reveal is done in a very Pamela Voorhees way. And like, you know, she has a great scene where she tells the story about her son drowning. Mm-hmm. We get a shitty flashback to Cropsy being burned and being like, oh, the guy is actually one of the kids. Like, that's... And, and, and they never once ever imply that, that, like, there was, like, six or seven kids in this group of pranksters. What happened to them? Did he get to them all before this last guy? Did he even know the guy he's going after is the one that did this? Like, there's no indication that... Or is he just like, you know what? I'm just going to throw a pair of garden shears at a map and whatever camp I hit, I'm going after it. Like right. there was no, no clear indication of motivation other than I hate kids. Like it just, <laughs> it was weird, you know, like um, say what you want about the weaker Friday 13th sequels. The motivations there is that Jason's always going to be the guardian of uh, crystal Lake because he was wronged and his mother was killed. Yeah. And it's, it's very small motive. Like it's very not minor motivation to set up a story, but that's Jason is just, he, he is on a war path because of what was taken. Right. He may not even know, but that's what he's there for. He is judgment. Cropsey was, I don't know. Like it just, he, they didn't give him any sense of personality or character. And for as much as Jason never says a word, you, you start to pick up on his kind of like, I don't know, like especially in six, because that was the first one Kane Hodder, I think, played Jason in, right? Was it six? No, he's uh, Hodder's first was seven. Seven, okay. Whoever they got to play in six, where they had the small moments where he just kind of stopped and turned his head and considered what's going on. Those were nice little character beats of like, he's processing what's going on. You'll never know what he's thinking, but he's processing it. You know, you never got any indication from Cropsey that he was doing anything other than he was just stalking people. And then he would, he just, he's like, I got to stab him with garden shears, you yeah. know? And, so I'm frustrated with this film because one, uh, we thought it was a knockoff, and it is. I mean, let's be honest. Even though this movie supposedly, the idea existed before Friday the 13th, it certainly it, it came to be because of Friday the 13th. Um, it's frustrating because it looks like this film could have taken chances in a big way and been more savage in its examination of violence than Friday the 13th was. It could have been the high water mark. Yeah. And the idea that you have a disfigured killer coming back, it was before Nightmare on Elm Street. It was before the later Jason films. It wasted all that potential capital for interesting storytelling. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when I I talk about Friday the 13th, you know, I wouldn't even say that Friday the 13th is my favorite horror franchise. It's probably the Halloween franchise. But one of the things that I really like about horror is that I can get a lot of different values out of horror films. Uh, I can get something like, um, you know, say get out, which will have a powerful social commentary, or I can watch something like, um, you know, project metal beast, project metal beast, (laughs) which has a werewolf with metal skin. Like, you know, 
I can get a lot of different things out of horror. So, like, my spectrum of what's good and bad is, is fairly wide open. Um, all I either need is to be moved or entertained or just have fun. And, like, I'll be the first one to admit it. A lot of the Friday the 13th sequels aren't great, but there are things that I like in them. Um, this, I was struggling to find something that I liked. The, you know, like I said, the two positives for me was it's an actual summer camp or it feels like an actual summer camp, and there's one really cool shot. I mean, outside of that, I think Jason Alexander kind of shows that, you know, he's going to be an, a good actor in that, like, he's well, doing his as much as he can. timing was still kind of there, and it was yeah. weird because it's like, it's it's Jason Alexander with a full head of hair and kind of acting like Johnny on the spot, right? Like Johnny football type of like, hey, what's going on, guys? It's like, but he wasn't athletic, but he always wore a shirt with like a football number on yeah. it, you know. <laughs> Which I found out that a bulk of the people wearing clothes, they were wearing their actual clothes, really, because there was no real costuming. It was more <laughs> like, just come on, like, like so. So he was really all about numbered T-shirts back then. <laughs> so I like that. That that stuff was okay because he. He, even though there's bits towards the end, like whenever the raft kind of shows back up after the massacre and the people left behind don't realize it yet, he's like kind of trying to ham it up with the rest of the campers. It's like that fell a little tone deaf and I get that he doesn't know what's coming, but it's like it's so kind of grating at that point where it's like we know they're going to find dead bodies. He needs us to shut up right now. Right. But then the moment his character finds out something's wrong, he jumps into the water to go help. Like, I was also surprised at the number of people that made it towards the end of this movie, too. I was surprised. There was a healthy number of people that got out of the canoe situation. Yeah, okay. that's that was, true. That was interesting. Um, but yeah, it was just, I don't know. I like, guess I guess the point is is that, like, it doesn't have to be a great movie to, like, make it onto my radar and be something that, like, yeah, I'll watch again or enjoy. Uh, but there wasn't anything that I could really find in this movie that's going to make, that's going to tip me off to be like, yeah, let's watch The Burning tonight. So. Yeah, so uh, to wrap this up, uh, we'll, we'll get to the couple of points that we will we'll kind of determine how this was in terms of a knockout. But there's a statement here on Wikipedia that said, uh, in recent years, The Burning has received critical acclaim and is considered by some to be one of the best slasher films ever made. And it has like a citation for whatever this is like. If that citation is to a website called Total Bullshit, maybe I would consider that statement. <laughs> it is not one of the best slashers ever made. And like, like I would take something like um, High Tension for as... Um, unbelievable as the twist is in that movie, that is uh, leaps and bounds better than something like this. I know it's made like twenty years past, but right, you know. But you want to talk about best slasher films ever made? Then you're going to talk about all of them. You know, like I don't know if you've seen High Tension or not. Yeah, yeah I've seen I, High yeah. Tension. I mean, I'll just say that you know, The Burning for me isn't going to make that list. Um, <laughs> no, you know, uh, High Tension is a movie that I've only seen once. Um, I liked it, but I also felt that it, it it was missing something, and I need to revisit it because I need to figure out what that was. Because <laughs> it almost felt like somebody who'd watched a horror movie and like had all the ingredients, but was just missing one. Like there's something <laughs> that's about fair. It. I don't know why I pulled that one off the top of my head. No, but I'm thinking fine. of like it, other. It's actually a movie that is regarded as one of the best slashers, and a lot of people love that film. I don't begrudge anybody who loves that film. Just for me, it just there was something that didn't click that first viewing. Yeah. So, so okay. So when we talked about Ator. We talked about like what lessons and the, like like did it learn did it learn any lessons for Friday Thirteenth like the lessons of Friday Thirteenth are likable characters, relatively believable scenarios in which these people would be dispatched, and then all you know and then like a satisfying conclusion to the confrontation. I feel like those are the things, right? And then, um, 
I, then there's also the possibility of a sequel. <laughs> there's always the possibility of a sequel. Right. So with the burning, I didn't give a shit about any of the characters. Jason Alexander, notwithstanding, he was just funny. I didn't like anybody. Um, I didn't believe any of the scenarios in which they were all kind of picked off one by one. I mean, it was all typical, like, all oh, wander off in the woods by yourself. But it just none of the, like, there was no, there was no hesitation. The moment somebody wandered in the woods by themselves, gone. Which, at least in Friday the 13th, they would play with that conv- the, the, that idea sometimes of, like, you think this is going to happen, and it wouldn't. Right. This never, ever did that. It was all, there was one, one scene where Fisher Stevens went back to his cabin to go find uh, a, a bottle of vitamins or whatever in his bunk, which he was like, I forgot them. It's like, well, you knew where they were the entire time. Anyway, but... And then you think it's Cropsy coming in to get him, and it's actually the other counselor. That's the only time I could think where it didn't full on end up with a murder. Right. And that was one sequence. You know, the rest of this was so straightforward. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't have anything to add to that, unfortunately. Like, yeah. I mean, the. Hmm. Yeah. I. I, I it, Again. It's, it would be like me following a recipe. Like, let's say that there, someone made a really good cake, like a really wonderful cake. And then I look through and I was like, you know what? This is a really good idea recipe for a cake, but I'm just going to add a shit ton more sugar in this because I really love sugar. And I want to add a shit ton more of this because I really love this. And then because if I just add more of it, but I ignore the proportions, it has to be better, right? That's what this felt like. Like I was following the recipe, but ignoring why proportions work. Right. And, and then, and then I, then I undercooked it. <laughs> like it, <laughs> it. It was not burning. This cake did not burn. Well, you know, I mean, when it comes down to, you know, the motive of, oh, he found, you know, what was his name? Tom? Uh, <laughs> Gary? Bill? Steve, I don't know. I don't know. I always, I always go to Steve's <laughs> by default. That's your name. I don't know why. Uh, it was, it was Todd. Yeah. Todd. Todd. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole motivation of like, oh, at the end, it's he's punishing everyone else, but he doesn't actually get Todd anyway. No, um, you know, it's 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 not a logic that really works in that same way. Like I'd mentioned with Pamela Voorhees, um, and it's that thing where, again, you meant I guess you summed it up best with the whole sugar analogy. But it felt like they were like, oh, we got to have a reason in here, you know. And maybe if it had just been like, like he's batshit crazy and he's just randomly killing people, maybe that would have worked better. Maybe. Um, but, but also, like to take the analogy further, it's like if the recipe called for vanilla extract, it'd be like, well, I don't have the money for that. I'm just going to add more sugar. <laughs> That's what this film felt like. Where it's like, <laughs> yeah. And and you know, looking back on the Friday Thirteenth movies. You know, at least off the top of my head, I feel like all most of the sex scenes in those films were all consensual, where like most of this wasn't. Yeah, I mean, which I, is really I, weird. I need to go, but I don't know about eighty sex scenes. I feel like there's a lot of like just implied permission when there's not. You know, but this was this was awkward and this was well, wrong in a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. So just and then to find out, like I found a, a quote here. It was a statement from uh, where to go. Um, there, someone who worked on the film actually said as of recently, where was it? Did I have it here? Um, on October 15th, 2017, Paula someone that worked on the film, discussed her experience working as an intern on this film. She alleges that Harvey Weinstein's predatory behavior went back as far as 1980. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. No, it doesn't. So, um, Also, fun fact, wrap it up here. This script was written in six weeks. Doesn't surprise me. Uh, and I think the reason why this has kind of gotten cult status is because it was banned because of some of the violence 
So I think the raft scene got abandoned in the UK. So because it was a taboo thing, people were like, ooh, the burning. I think that's really how this ends up being looked at is because it was the forbidden fruit for the long, longest time. And that's fine. I mean, if you want to look at it that way and say that I didn't get a chance to watch this growing up and it was, it was taboo and watch it for that reason. But, you know, there, I, the only reason I'd ever come back to this is to watch it with a group of friends. Yeah. And, and have a good time with it. Like I, I could never see my, and that's unfortunate because I actually was kind of thinking this might be a hidden gem and the poster art's pretty cool. Like, and the, the title is cool. The title has nothing to do with the movie other than how it all starts. Right. And yeah. So anyway, well, it's funny that you say that though, because I don't even know that this would be one that I would throw on to have fun with with friends. Like, yeah, I, I guess you can't be like, "Hey, guys, we should make fun of this awkward sex scene." Yeah, yeah. like, I mean, I, I could do it with you know pretty much most you know of the eighty slashers, uh, you know, even even ones that I like. Like, I can I can watch like. You know, um, for instance, one of my favorites of the 80s is, is Nightmare on Elm Street 3. I think it's one of the best of that series. And uh, I love that movie. But, like, if I was sitting around with friends, I'm sure I'd find something to make jokes about. Yeah. Uh, so, like, this is the burning is so uncomfortable, I guess. <laughs> you should just isolate that uh, that <laughs> clip there. The, the burning, burning is, is so uncomfortable, uncomfortable yeah. um, that I, I don't know that it's one that I could even throw on to watch with friends. And, and it's not purposely uncomfortable. It's it, no. it's unintentionally uncomfortable, and it's not because I mean, uh, again, uh, we've, we've I think we've given this this film too much talk in terms of like its credit. But we've like, got another forty five minutes on this movie. No, no, we don't. Um, <laughs> uh, just uh, I don't know. It just it 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 tried. It wasn't successful, and there's a reason why it would only make seven hundred thousand dollars in the U.S. and maybe a million in Japan. Right? I misguided, tone deaf, and it was clearly made purely for the intent of getting your foot in the door of making a film because that's they didn't hide that they saw the wave coming and they were trying to make that one to catch it as well. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you're not allowed to do that, and I'm not saying that there aren't better films that it might be made in the original version of whatever because you see that coming and it's making money. Maybe we'll find some as we go along here with this year on the knockoff. But when this is so blatant and they just didn't even give a shit to even round out the motivations and all the characters involved, then you lost me. At least at least in the original Friday the 13th, I'm not saying all the characters were necessarily likable or, or even given any story, but at least, you know, they, they, they felt like real people. You know, and I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't as tone deaf. This is this. This whole thing is tone deaf. Is to me is what it feels like. So anyway, for a movie called The Burning, it is undercooked. How about that? There you go. Yeah. I don't think I could put it any yeah. better than that. So anyway, hopefully you guys have watched The Burning. Maybe not. Sounds like we've given you a reason to not watch it. Uh, that that's it. So I on a scale of one to five, knock. I don't know. It's I, I'd give it a one to two compared to to what it was trying to chase. Um, if, if you put the Friday Thirteenth as a five for for being what it is, it's it's not it's not much of anything. I had more fun watching Ator. I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel so bad in the this sense. This is below the Ator, the Fighting Eagle scale in terms of just in terms of just not watching it again. What did I give Ator? I forget, but you said like, I think you believed Ator was watchable. Yeah, yeah. I, 
Because I feel like when I think back on Ator, I probably was more of the, you know, oh, make jokes about certain things, uh, variety, whereas with this, I, I couldn't have any fun with it. So, I mean, I guess I would give this a, a, a zero to one, point <laughs> like five. Yeah. So anyway, that's I again, I won't regret ever watching a film and the on the off chance that there might be something redeeming there. And with the burning, this wasn't there for me. Um, but it was it was fun to go back and watch the first Friday the 13th. So I'm glad I did that. So uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the year of the knockoff. Um, I'll have something up on the blog here as well. Additional because I like doing one one separate. Uh, we haven't decided what we're doing for March yet. I, I know we've got some stuff coming up. I know we're going to do some Star Crash. We're going to do some uh, Abbey, which is like a knockoff of The Exorcist. we got some fun stuff coming. So, And if you guys have any recommendations for a knockoff, uh, please hit us up on the, on the Facebook or on the blog or whatever. That'd be great. So uh, until next time, I mean, um, I'd say don't, don't go canoeing. I don't know. It's just Or don't go skate dipping with the guy that you like but don't like but think is kind of rapey. That's probably also <laughs> that's all, all good advice. All good advice. And all don't right. sleep with gasoline. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>